Hey, this is Aaron Brockett, lead pastor of Traders Point Church. Regardless of where you are tuning in around the world or if you call Indianapolis home, I just wanna thank you for tuning in to our weekly message podcast. Our prayer and desire is that God would take the content of these messages and use it to encourage you in your relationship with Jesus as you discover God's purpose for your life. Well, what's good? How are we today? Good, good. Hey, uh, I want to start today with a question. I want to ask you something. uh, By show of hands across all of our campuses, how many of you are done with your Christmas shopping? Y'all, I just heard somebody laugh like, ha ha. Way too happy about that, all right? For the rest of us, I'm not with that group. I'm with you that have have yet to finish. We still got time. You still got time. All right, but I, I, I want to start with asking you a question that kind of plays off of that. And I'm going to admit it's a little bit of a corny question, all right? So just bear with me. But the question is this. For those of you that still have shopping left to do, or maybe if you're already done with that, that's fine too. What if you look down on your list of people that you need to shop for, and there was an extra name at the bottom, and, and it said God? <laughs> Like, what would you get God for Christmas if you had to get him something? Now, I know that's like a super corny question, so let me ask it in like a, a maybe less corny way. What do you think brings joy to the heart of God? Like, what, what do you think makes him smile? Like, what, what do you think makes God light up like a kid on Christmas mornings? Like, parents, you know you got that one gift for your kids that they may not like some of the other stuff you got them because some of it, like, actually serves a purpose and, like, actually need to have it. But you know there's that one gift. That you know when they open it, they just, they're going to lose their mind over it. It's going to be incredible. And you can't wait for that, right? You can't wait for them to open that one gift. Like, what does that for God? What is it that makes him light up like a kid on Christmas morning? And the answer to that question, I think, is really important. Because the answer to that question tells you a lot about how you view God. And about what you believe about God. And what I've found in my experience is is that myself included and almost all of us, we usually get the answer to that question wrong. We almost always have no idea what to get God for Christmas or any uh, any, any other day of the year. Like we don't know what really brings joy to his heart. Most of us uh, flawed and and, 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 uh, incorrectly believe that what makes God light up like a kid on Christmas morning is perfect attendance and perfect performance. If you can give him perfect attendance and perfect performance, oh man, he is so happy and he's so excited. And the, and the unfortunate thing is that if that's true, most of us ruined that a long time ago. <laughs> like most of us screwed up the perfect attendance thing and we certainly screwed up the perfect performance thing. So we just think God is probably like eternally disappointed with us. And, and that's why today's so important. Because today what we're gonna understand is what really makes God light up like a kid on Christmas morning, what really brings joy to his heart is not what you would expect. But it all starts with us going back and learning from one of Jesus' great, 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 grandmas. A woman by the name of Rahab. We've been in the series called Evergreen. We've been talking about the family tree of Jesus and looking at different people that are in the family tree of Jesus that you would not expect to be in there. And so today we come upon Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, and there's this name that's mentioned in it. It says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And, and it's, it's a shocker to most of us that Rahab is in the genealogy of Jesus. And now if you're unfamiliar with the Bible or you may be new to this, that's okay. The, the reason that we're so surprised about this is that Rahab was a prostitute. And so you're like, wait a minute. If God's all about perfect attendance and perfect performance, how did a prostitute 
get listed in such an honorable place, like so closely attached to the name of Jesus, like how did a prostitute find her way in there? It just doesn't quite make sense to us. Now, maybe you've heard a message about Rahab before, and I know I've heard several of them in my years of following Jesus, and most of the time when we talk about Rahab, we talk about Rahab in a very demeaning way. Right? Most of the time, and, and we, we, we paint it with a little bit of a better brush to so make it sound better, but most of the time when, we, when you hear a message on Rahab, the message is, you're never too far gone for God to use you. Right? Rahab's in the genealogy. This prostitute made it here, so that, that means that no matter how bad you've been, God can still love you and still use you, which is like a passive-aggressive way of saying, you're definitely not as bad as Rahab. <laughs> like, she's so bad, you're surely not a prostitute, right? And that's actually pretty demeaning. Right? And that's, that's actually pretty judgmental. Because truth be told, we have no idea how Rahab became a prostitute. <laughs> we have no clue. We have no background. We have no context for that. And if you're familiar with any woman's story who has come out of prostitution or is in prostitution, you know that like, no little girl ever dreams of becoming a prostitute. It, 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 it's almost always an occupation that is, is laden with pain. And, and there's a story in there of, of, honestly, most of these women are victims to some degree of something that's happened to them, something horrible. And so, like, forget the fact that we, like, too quickly judge Rahab. It got super quiet in here, by the way, real quick. Forget the fact that we too quickly judge Rahab and we're just like, yeah, I mean, there's no way it could be as bad as her. Forget that. Because the morality of her occupation is not the point of her story. The point of the Rahab story is, it has absolutely nothing to do with, with the morality of her occupation. That's, that's not why Rahab's in the genealogy of Jesus. See, God is actually proud to have the name Rahab attached to the name of his son Jesus. God is proud to put Rahab in the family tree of Jesus because Rahab had something that God absolutely adores. Rahab had something that God loves. Rahab knew what God would actually want for Christmas. And every other day. And so I want to show you that today. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua 2, it's in the Old Testament. It's where we're going to be camping out today. Um, we're going to unpack a story from ancient times. Okay, This is before the people of Israel had a home to call Israel. Okay, This is like the people of God. They're wandering. They're like looking for a place to, 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 to call home. And, and so they're being led by this man named Joshua. And God leads Joshua to a city called Jericho. He says, hey, I, I want you to take over. I'm going to give you this land, but it's going to take you like in a militaristic way. You're going to have to overthrow this city. And so Jericho, like most ancient cities, was fortified by a big wall around it. And so Joshua and his people are trying to figure out, like, how, how are we going to do this? And so he decides to send two spies into the town of Jericho to get some ground-level intel so they can figure out how to do this. All right. And so if you're there, if you're ready, turn to your neighbor and say, all I want for Christmas is you. Single dudes, I'm trying to give you the hookup right now. I'm trying to give you the reason to look at her. and Don't say I never helped you out, man. I'm trying to help you out. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 2 starts in verse 1. It says this, Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove, and he instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out, and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there that night. Now, we, <laughs> we, we got to stop for a second, because this is too funny. The Bible's too funny. Can you just imagine, can you imagine my dudes going back home and talking to their wives? Their wives are like, 
you're so brave, you did this, like tell me all about it, I wanna know every little detail. And they're like, yeah, we, we went into the city and um, the first night, you know, we, we, we stayed there and she's like, where'd you stay? I wanna know, I wanna know, like where'd you sleep that night? We stayed at the house of a prostitute and, uh, it was, and we woke up next morning, and, what was that, honey, what'd you say? We stayed at the house of a prostitute. Why is your mouth so weird, honey? What did you say? We stayed at the house of a prostitute. Okay, we had to do it. God told us to. Like, this, this situation just got so weird so quick. But what's amazing, though, is you, you go to the next verse, and you see there's more to, more, than, more, to the, more to Rahab than meets the eye. This woman was savvy. I mean, she was, she, she's about to pull one over on some really powerful, really wise people. Look at the very next verse. We learn about Rahab. It says, but someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites came here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab. Bring out the men who, who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. But Rahab had hidden the two men. And she replied, yes, the, the, the men were here earlier, but I, I didn't know where they were from. And they left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. And I, I, I don't know where they went, but if you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. When actually she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax that she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan. And, and, and as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. All right, this is crazy. You've got a powerless woman who is defying a powerful king. And this, this move looks so risky. I mean, keep in mind, these spies are there to overthrow her city, which means that they are there to overthrow her which means if they're successful, she's probably either dead or enslaved, one of the two. And so, like, what would motivate her to take such a crazy, like, she had this crazy idea to do something that looks insane to everybody else. Like, what would motivate her to hide these men and to lie to, 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 uh, lie to the king and to pull the wool over his eyes? Like, what would compel her? What would give her that crazy idea? And we actually learn what gave her that idea in the very next verse. It says, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we've heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. And here it is. For the Lord your God is the supreme God, of the heavens above and the earth below. That Rahab, we get, we're clapping for Rahab, man. We're bringing, put some respect on her name today. I love it. She says, I don't even, I mean, like, keep in mind, she's, she's not living in a town full of people to go to church. Like, she has no idea who God is yet, right? She just has heard stories about God, and she's like, I know all the gods we worship must be false, and I've heard stories about that God, and that must be the one true God. So she, she has this belief I mean, she's so aware of God. It's amazing that a prostitute is aware of God. That, that, that shows something to you. She's so aware. She's so perceptive of the things of God. She says, I've heard about that must be the one true God right there. And this belief that she has informs her actions. You got to remember that. Her beliefs inform her actions. But my girl's not done because she's about to go a step further. I mean, the, 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 the bravery does not end there. Look at the very next verse. She's, she's now out to use this, this leverage that she has 
to protect her and her family. She says, now swear to me by the Lord that you'll be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all their families. Homegirl cuts a deal. She's like, I know I just did y'all a solid. Now you're about to do me a solid, all right? Protect my family. That's so, so, it's so, it's so brave. It's so heroic, right? And so they say, sure, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. And, I mean, it, it, this is amazing. Like, this, like all this, the, the savviness, the shrewdness, the, 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 the wheeling and dealing. Like, she knew what was up. It was amazing. She's the hero of the story. And if you read Joshua 3 through 6, those next four chapters... You see that the intel that these spies get, they take it back to Joshua and they form this plan and the walls of Jericho come crumbling down and they take over the city in epic, godlike fashion. And, and, and then you see in Joshua chapter 6, verse 25, that, the, the, uh, that Joshua and the spies make good on their promise to, to Rahab. It says this, that Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies that Joshua sent to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. She's grafted into the family of God. This foreign woman who was a prostitute is now grafted into the family of God. And we, we don't hear of her again in the entire Bible until you get to Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, when we're talking about who the family of Jesus is and the lineage of Jesus. And Rahab gets put in that honorable list. And can't you see why? Oh, man, God's so proud of her. God's not embarrassed of Rahab. He's not ashamed of Rahab. He's, he's proud of her. You see, we focus so much on her, her occupation as a prostitute when, like, the, the, the morality of her occupation was not the point of her story. Like, th th this says very little about God's view of morality. It says more about God's view of status. See, th think about Rahab for a second. Strike one, she's a woman. In ancient cultures, women were not valued. Strike two, she's a prostitute. Strike three, think about that detail that was included there at the end. Her home was cut into the outer wall of the town. It's as if the town was saying, you, you like technically live here, but not really. We want to push you as far out as possible. You are so low, like your status could not be lower. We have marginalized you as far as we can possibly marginalize you. We want you gone. And God says, I'll take this woman that lives on the outskirts of the town. And I'll use her to change the town. You see, th this whole story of Rahab shows you that you may be a nobody in the eyes of the world, but you can still be a somebody in the eyes of God. You may be a nobody. I'm telling you, you may think that you don't have any influence. You may think that you don't have the fame or the fortune or the wealth that you thought you should have. Like you may think like you, you may get, have gotten passed by for the promotion at work. You, you may feel like the world is just happening around you and, and, and there's nothing you can do about it. I'm telling you, you are not powerless. You may be a nobody in this world, but you can be a somebody in the eyes of God. The difference you make with your life is not predicated by your worldly status. God does not give a rip about your worldly status. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about your money. He doesn't care about your fame. He doesn't care about your wealth. He doesn't care about how many followers you have on Instagram. He doesn't care about any of it. Your impact is not predicated by your status in this world. You can be a nobody in the eyes of the world, but you can be a somebody in the eyes of God. But I'm telling you, if you want to be a somebody in the eyes of God, you got to have what Rahab had. See, Rahab had something, oh, that God just loves. He, he just adores it. See, Rahab had this word, courage. Rahab had courage. 
And I'm telling you, God loves courage. Oh, man. I mean, just think of the courage it took for her, this powerless prostitute, to defy a powerful king. Think of the courage it took to do that. Think of the courage it took for her to strike a deal with these spies for the protection of her family. Think, Think of the courage it took. Rahab had courage, and God loves courage. I mean, come on, those of you that are familiar with the Bible, that you maybe grew up in church, think about the stories that we all know about the Bible. They're stories of courage. Think about Abraham for a second. If you're familiar with the story of Abraham, he was called to leave the land he always knew, to go to a land that he did not know where it was or what it was called. God just said go, and Abraham said, all right, I'll do it. He had courage. Think about Noah for a second. Noah was called to build an ark, to prepare for a flood in the midst of a drought. (laughs) And people made fun of him left and right. And Noah said, I'll do it with courage. Think about David. All the Israelites are shaking in their boots about this giant named Goliath, and David steps up and says, I'll, I'll, I'll take him on. It's courage. Think about Peter. Sees Jesus walking on water, and Jesus says, come on, step out of the boat. And with courage, Peter steps out of the boat and starts walking on water. I mean, think about the very founder of our faith, Jesus himself. Can you find someone more courageous in all the world? He left heaven to come and be among us. And not just to come and be a big political strong ruler, he came in as, an, as a vulnerable child. And he faced every temptation that you and I have ever faced, yet he was without sin. He faced a gruesome death on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven and free. He went to the very gates of hell and conquered death so that we would never have to fear death when he resurrected from the grave. I mean, can you find someone more courageous than Jesus himself? God loves courage. It's, it's, courage is at the very heart of God. And God loves it. You know, I, I thought about using another word as I was prepping this. Because there's another word that we need to talk about. Um, and, and, and it's, it's, it's the word that the Bible mostly uses when we're talking about courage. Okay, but I, I didn't want to drop it on you because it's, like, I, I, I didn't want to dip into preacher speak too quick. I didn't want to dip into like Christianese and kind of put you all to sleep too quick. But there's like, courage you all get. Courage we all understand. We've seen movies. We've seen Braveheart. We know what courage is. But, but there's another word that the Bible actually uses to talk about what we're talking about. It's kind of like the God-centered, like the God-rooted version of courage. And it's not the word courage. It's the word Faith. Faith. You see, Rahab had faith. Let's let's go back and think about our our character we talked about a second ago. Abraham, when he was called to leave the land that he had always known, it was by faith that he said yes. Think about Noah for a second. Noah was called to build an ark, and, and it was by faith that he said yes to that. He believed what God told him, and that belief informed his actions. See, think about David for a second. He believed that God was all-powerful. He believed that God could do anything that he promised that he would do. And so he stepped out and, and, and had some courage. But really what that was, it was faith. It was, I believe something about God, and so I'm gonna act. Go to Peter. He, he believed if Jesus could walk on water and Jesus said, come on, step out of the boat, I'm gonna step out of the boat by faith, I'm gonna do it. And then when, he, when his faith was shaky, he started sinking, right? And it, it, it's faith that we're talking about here. Faith is what God is absolutely crazy about. You see, faith is when you put your beliefs in actions. And that's what Rahab was doing. That's what Rahab was doing. Rahab said, I believe that that God must be the supreme God in the heavens above and the earth below. And so I know this may look crazy to everybody else, but I believe. And so I'm going to act. I'm going to do something. The only way it makes sense is if I'm right. And she was right. See, that, that, that's what faith is. Hebrews 11.1 1 puts it like this. 
says the faith shows the reality of what we hope for, and it's the evidence of things we cannot see. So like things we hope for and things we cannot see, that's like what we believe, right? Like we believe these things about God. We believe he's good. We believe he's true. We believe he's all powerful, that he's all loving. Well, like we, we, we hope for it and we, and we cannot see it, but we believe it. And faith is when you take those beliefs and you make them reality. And you give evidence of them. You let your beliefs inform your actions. That's what faith is. And let me tell you, you want to know what, what, what makes God light up like a kid on Christmas morning? It's faith. Faith. Five verses later in, in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 verse 6 would say it like this. That it is impossible to please God without what? Faith. That this is what brings joy to the heart of God. That when you'll say, you know what, it may look crazy, it may look risky, it may look insane. People, people may say, man, how courageous are you to do that thing? And, and really the only way I can explain it to you is I have these big beliefs about God. And so I step out and I take action. I let my beliefs inform my actions. And when you do that, God gets so giddy. He's so joyful. He's so excited. It brings, it brings joy to his heart. You see, because like the, 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 the picture that I always get when I think about this and I read the story of Rahab and I think about how much God loves faith, the, 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 the visual I get in my head is that of a dad in a swimming pool trying to get his kids to jump in. Right? Like if you got if you got little kids, you know, like I, I've got a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. And so like for the past six years or so, summertime, I'm always always find myself in the pool saying, come on, jump in. And then to see your kids like for the first time consider this terrifying prospect, which is really not that terrifying, right? But like they pace back and forth, like doing risk analysis. Like, I don't know if <sighs> what could happen, what's gonna happen to my college prospects if I do this? Like I just don't know. And then they get up there and they're like, one, two. No, I can't do it. I can't do it, Dad. I can't do it. And you're like, we're in three feet of water. I'm like, you're not going to drown. It's okay, kid. Like, it, it looks risky to them, but it's really not risky because I'm, I'm their father. And I'm not going to let them sink to the bottom, though I have thought about it a couple times. <laughs> I thought, how bad would that be? Like, first time they jump in, like, oh, skunk. Not, not for long. I'll pick them up. But. <laughs> but, like, I'm, I'm their father, and I, and, I, and I want the best for them. And so I'm not, like, it, this is not a risk, but to them it looks risky. It's scary. It's uncomfortable. They have no idea what's going to happen. And, and, and I'm just saying, come, come on in. Trust me. And that's what God is saying to us. That's why faith brings such joy to God's heart. Because he's like a father in the pool saying, would you just trust me? And, oh, man, see, because that, that's what faith proves that you trust God. Faith proves that you don't just, like, have these, like, kind of sort of beliefs. No, you actually believe God is who he says he is and that he, that he, that he wants you to do what he said he wants you to do and that, that, he's, that he's got your back. Faith proves that you trust him. And so it brings joy to his heart, but not only does it bring joy when you, when you make the jump. Like when my kids finally take that leap and they jump into my arms in the pool, oh, it's like, thank goodness. They know I, they know I love them. They know that I want the best for them. But then you know what? Not only does it bring joy to me because of what it does in my heart, but then think about what you get to see happen in your kids. Because you know what happens when they take that first leap? Immediately they come up out of the water and you say, how was that? And the first thing they say is, can we do it again? 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 And then you find yourself like for four hours, you're like, what have I started? <laughs> you're just over and over jumping in the pool because it's so fun and you see the thrill in their eyes. You see the joy light up. And see, that's, that's again why God loves faith because he loves to see you and me fully alive. He loves to see us fully alive, and that's what faith does, man. When you'll take a leap of faith, when you'll do something courageous, when you'll do something that you don't know how it's going to turn out, and it's kind of scary, and it's uncomfortable, but you're doing it because of your big beliefs in God, oh, that's where life to the full is found. That's where the good life is found. You see, 
I still think it comes back to Rahab. I think it comes back to our fixation on her being a prostitute. We're so shocked by that. Right, Because we still, in our heart of hearts, no matter how long you've been in church, we still believe that God's primary goal was to turn bad people into good people. We still believe that that was like the reason Jesus came. Like, yeah, Jesus came, Christmas to celebrate. Yeah, well, like why? Why did Jesus come? Well, he came because he wants to make us into good people. Like, no, that's Santa Claus. Okay, Jesus did not come to turn bad people into good people. Jesus came to turn dead people into alive people. Jesus came in John 10, 10. He said, my purpose is that they may have life and have it to the full to experience the good life. I mean, that's what makes God's heart beat is when he sees you and me fully alive. I'm telling you, if you want to experience life to the full, it's on the other side of faith. When you say yes to the, to the scary things that God asks you to do, when you say yes to the courageous things that you know God asks you, that's when you get the stories to share with your grandkids one day. That's when you get to see God do his best work is when you will say yes to these little nudges, these little prompts of faith that God gives you to do something that the world thinks might be crazy. But you know because of God calling you to do it, because of who he is that you can trust him and so you take that leap of faith. And man, as I was prepping that message, this message this week, I just started thinking to myself like, okay, if that's true about God, and you know, I, I do think that I, I'm like, as, as a preacher, all of us, we always try to do the same thing of like, okay, I'm gonna preach something, but I need to make sure that like, I'm living this out because I never want to like preach something that is not impacting me. So like anytime I'm, I'm up here preaching, I'm preaching to me. And if y'all benefit from it, that's great. But like, this is primarily for me. And so I started thinking like, okay, like, have I lost my courage? Like, have, have I lost my faith? And then I started thinking like, man, am I really pleasing God? Like, are we really making him proud? I'm not saying... I'm not saying, like, does God love us? That's not what I'm talking about. God loves you. And that was a definitive statement he made when Jesus went to the cross. There's nothing you can do to make him love you any less. There's nothing you can do to make him love you any more. His love for you is set in stone because of what Jesus did. It's unshakable. But I just wonder, like, is he proud of what we're doing with this life that he's given us? Does he look at our life and say, man, like that, that's, that's what I want. That's why I died for them, so they could experience that. Because I don't know about you, but for me, I'm speaking for me, life has a way of draining my courage and draining my faith. Life has a way of making me pretty complacent, pretty boring, pretty lifeless, pretty purposeless. I started thinking like, man, do, do my beliefs about God match up with my actions. Like we believe all these big things about God. Like we believe that God left heaven and came to live among people who were nothing like him. But yet, when was the last time that we spent time with anyone who was nothing like us? Like we, we believe that God went out of his way to show us how he loves us. But when was the last time we went out of our way to, sh to show someone that they are loved? Like we, we believe that God risked rejection, that in fact Jesus was rejected. He was spit on, he was cussed at, he was wrongfully executed, he was rejected. We believe he was rejected to show us love. When was the last time we risked rejection to show someone the love of God? When's the last time you stuck your neck out on the line just to invite somebody to church or to, to share with someone why you love Jesus so much? When's the last time you risked being looked at like a religious wacko? I went, like, when, when's the last time that you did something like that? I mean, like, we believe 
that Jesus conquered death. Well, when's the last time we put ourselves in any environment or any situation that wasn't 100%, 100% safe or 100% predictable? Like, I, I just started asking myself those questions like, man, I don't know. I don't know because like, I'll just be honest, for me, I tend to hang my hat on previous faith. Like there are times I can point you to in, in my past where I responded to what I felt like God was calling me to do and I did something courageous for God. I've got a few of those memories in the past and what I typically do is I hang my hat on those and assume that's all that God wants for me. But man, God wants, God wants this as a lifestyle for us. God is, is the dad in the pool every day saying, come on, jump in. Come on, jump in. This is the good life. This is where you find purpose. This is where you find fulfillment. Like, come on, jump in. You see, the, the, the beautiful thing about it, because I know you're probably sitting there thinking, okay, like, God wants me to do courageous things for him, but I don't have spies coming up to my door asking me if I can hide out, and I'm not a prostitute, okay? So what, what do you do? Like, do you just get out a pen and paper and just start listing the things that you could do for God. You have to like imagine what you could do. And that's the beautiful thing about it, man. Your heavenly father wants this for you so bad. He wants it for you so bad that he is constantly nudging you to do things that are outside of your comfort zone. He's constantly nudging you to do things that you would never do on your own. He's constantly saying, come on, jump in. I've got you, I've got you. You see, we, we don't have to dream up anything fancy or creative. We just gotta notice the nudge. You just got to notice the nudge. I mean, come on, you walk into work. You see Ted down the hallway. And why is it that you think, man, I should probably go check on Ted and see how he's doing. I heard his mom was sick. I wonder how his mom's doing. And you don't do it because you're not a crazy person. <laughs> but, but like, why was that nudge there? It was God saying, come on, jump in. Like, you, why is it that when you pull in in, in in your driveway and you look around at your neighbor's homes and you think, man, I should do something, like, we should get our kids together and like make cookies for all the neighbors or something. Just like invite them to church or tell them we love them. Like we should do something kind for our neighbors. And like you don't do it. You're not a crazy person. But like where'd that nudge come from? Because you know you're way more selfish than that. You know you're not that loving. I'm not. It's, it's your heavenly father nudging you and saying, would you take a step of faith? Would you risk it? Would you do something that you have no idea how it's going to turn out? Would you just trust me? I had this happen to me just a couple months ago in a way that I'll never forget. It was September. And um, my dad, uh, I, I got a very, very scary call about my dad. I was uh, on the West Coast uh, on, a, on a trip, and I got a call from my mom. She was hysterical at, at the moment, um, saying that my dad had had a massive heart attack. And he was, he's 59 years old, healthy guy, and completely unexpected. And... Uh, I'll never forget the fear and the feelings. If you've ever gotten a call like that, you know how terrifying that is. And you start like immediately playing through all the things like that could happen. Like, okay, I, I may, like what was the last conversation I had with my dad? Like, what did I say to him? Like, oh my gosh, did I tell him how much I love him? Like, what, like, like did I do all that I could to make sure he knows like I love him? And then, and then I start thinking through, okay, now my mom's gonna be all alone. What's that gonna be like? I mean, all this is happening like rapid fire. You know, I'm thinking like, okay, my, my kids aren't gonna have the memories with, with Papa anymore. And they're not gonna grow up. Like, what is that gonna be? Oh my, like, and I'm just so scared, right? And, you know, by, by, by the grace of God and with modern medicine and the brilliance of doctors and nurses, he got to the hospital just in time. They put a stent in his heart and he, he survived. It was, it was great. I was so happy. I was so grateful. And um, fast forward a month, we were on a family vacation, all of us together. 
and we were in North Carolina on the beach, and um, I, I'm sitting there watching my dad in the ocean with my two sons, and he's, he's playing and having fun with them and making all kinds of memories, and I just sat there and watched, and I thought, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, like how fragile life is. And the fact that, the, like, I, you know, we're, we're not guaranteed tomorrow, but, but that memory happened. And I got to see my dad in the ocean with his grandkids, and, and I was just so grateful. And, and I, I remember that morning, I put, I put my headphones in, and I went on a run, I was trying to be healthy. And so I got like three miles into a four mile run, which if you know me, that's a whole lot. And so I was gassed, it was ugly. It was real ugly. But I remember, and, and that morning on the beach, I passed by I me. Mean, I, I, I was trying to worship God. I was so grateful for everything that had happened over the past month. And I, I remember that morning, I passed by probably 30 or 40 people on the beach that morning. And, and it, was, it was early, so people like, weren't out doing a whole lot. Most people were just walking on the beach. And I had no thoughts about anyone. But on my way back, it was about three miles into this four-mile run. I noticed this lady walking on the beach. And she was an older lady. And I, for some reason, felt like a nudge in my heart. It was like God was saying, you need, you need to go... You stop your run, turn around and go ask that woman if there's anything that you can pray for her about. And I'm like, I'm not gonna do it because I'm not a crazy person. But that would be nice if I did that. But no, I'm not, sorry. So I kept running. About 10, 15 yards later, I'm, I'm a ways pastor. And I felt like God was just nudging me again. Like, okay, but this time a little more sternly. It was like, hey, you can either do this and be in obedience to me, or you can go on with the rest of your vacation. That's fine, but just know you will have willfully disobeyed me. Eesh, okay, God, good grief. Put it like that, fine. So I turn around, take the headphones out, and I start walking towards her, and she immediately looks at me. And her eyes got huge, like, who is this short, sweaty man? <laughs> and is he going to kill me? <laughs> and I tried to calm her down as quickly as I could. I said, hey, ma'am, I, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I, for some reason, feel like God wants me to stop and just ask you if there's something I can pray for you about. cue that awkward moment where you're like, what's going to happen? Is she going to laugh at me? Like, what's going to happen? She looked at me and tears filled her eyes. And she said, oh, please. Uh, my brother just had a massive heart attack last night. And I don't know if he's going to make it. And I have no clue what I'm going to do. I'm so scared. <laughs> like, how does that happen? And so I, I was able to look her in the eye. Her name was Juliana. I said, Juliana, I don't, I, this is so crazy. God sent me here to ask you that question so that I could tell you that I know exactly what you're going through right now. Because my dad just had a massive heart attack last month and I know the feelings of fear and, and of pain and of, and of, and of just unknown and, and, and the sadness. And I know, I know you're scared right now. I want you to know I've been there. I want you to know God is with you. I want you to know that hope is not lost. I can't guarantee that your brother's gonna make it. I can tell you that my dad had a massive heart attack and right now he's a mile down the beach playing with his grandkids in the ocean. So I can tell you hope's not lost. And we prayed there on the beach together I put my headphones on and I ran back and I was like sprinting back. <laughs> I couldn't wait to tell everybody back at the house what God just did. I felt fully alive. I was like, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. I'm not talking about preaching. I'm not talking about being a pastor. I'm talking about saying yes to every opportunity that God gives me to step out of my comfort zone and to say yes to him because that's where life abundant is found. That's where the good life is found. I felt fully alive. And I'm telling you, it's because the nudge happened and the nudge happened. I noticed the nudge and I said, yes, I'll do it. And I'm telling you, there's some of you out there right now that you've been nudged to do something and you've been ignoring it for weeks. 
There's some of you that have been nudged. Every time we mention growth track, you're like, I should probably do that, but ah, I've got things to get to. My kids are in kids ministry. I don't know what my spouse will think about that, but I should probably do that. I'm, not going. I'm telling you, I'm not guaranteeing that growth track's gonna change your life. I'm saying that you saying yes to the nudge of God, that's where life to the full is found. You know, for some of you, you you've been nudged for a couple weeks now to invite that coworker, invite that neighbor to come with you to church. And you don't know how you're going to bring up the conversation. They don't even know that you go to church. And now you're convincing yourself that they probably go somewhere else. And you've talked yourself out of it so many times. I'm not guaranteeing you they're going to say yes. They might reject you. They might laugh in your face. But I'm telling you, life to the full is found when you say yes to the nudge of God. Some of you have been prompted and nudged to give big to this year in giving so that we can serve kids in the foster care system so that we can launch more campuses. And I'm not talking about big like in the dollar amount. I'm just talking about big sacrifice. You've been nudged to do that because your heavenly father sacrificed everything for you. And he's saying, hey, you believe this about me? Now put that belief into action. I'm telling you, life to the full is found on the other side. Some of you have been nudged to give your lives to Jesus, to come forward at the end of a service and to pray with someone on our team. You've never officially made that decision to start following Jesus and get baptized. And you've been nudged to and nudged to and nudged to and you've talked yourself out of it. I'm telling you, life to the full is found on the other side of that decision. And so I, I don't know what it is for you. I could, I, could, I could shoot, you know, arrows in the dark for, for a long time trying to figure out what it is for you. I don't need to figure out what it is for you. All you have to do is go to your heavenly father and say, God, what do you want me to do? Let him nudge you. Let him nudge you. And then the courage of Jesus is within you. The courage of Jesus is right there. And say yes to the nudge. And then watch how he changes a city. Watch how he changes an entire town through the power of all of us saying yes to the nudge of God. So let me pray for you and then just take a couple minutes and say, God, what do you want me to do? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Many of us right now, Jesus, know exactly what you're nudging us to do. You've been on us for a while about it. So God, right now, we echo the prayers of your earliest followers when they prayed for boldness. God, they didn't pray that they didn't pray for comfort. They didn't pray for security. They didn't pray that all their difficult circumstances would go away. They prayed for boldness to say yes to you. So God, right now, as a church across all of our campuses, we pray for boldness to say yes to you. And God, we pray that through our yes, that you would unleash love on this entire city. Meet us in these moments and nudge us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.